Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Cecilia C.C. Rodebush taught general and adaptive music K-12 in the Iowa City Community School District for 32 years. She has a master's degree in music education specializing in music therapy and behavioral disorders from the University of Iowa. She was honored by the ICCSD District Parents Organization in 2012, received the Achievement in Education Award for Outstanding Contributions to Education in 2014, and was the Iowa City Education Association's Teacher of the Year in 2017. CC piloted Hyperscore in 2003 and passionately taught the program until 2021. So this week, I am very pleased to welcome CC Rodebush to the podcast. Uh, CC, I came across, uh, or I first met you a couple of months ago when we started our conversations with the new Harmony Harmony Line. Uh, and you had been the director of education, and then you, your uh, your kind of enthusiasm for the product was completely infectious. And I'm absolutely thrilled uh, that Music First and Hyperscore are now working together, and I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much, Jim. So the first thing, the way I like to start with everybody, uh, and I think a lot of music educators, and I don't want to kind of rock the boat here too much, but a lot of music educators have been doing some soul searching for, you know, career changes and that type of thing. I would love um, for you to kind of trace your career in five to 10 minutes, like how you started teaching music and your, you know, over the course of your career, where you were, um, the types of uh, schools you were in and programs. And then, you know, we're going to get to the the kind of the really interesting part, which is your transition to becoming the director of education for a software brand. So just, you know, if you if you wouldn't mind, just take it, take us back to your undergraduate days in music ed and, and go from there. OK, well, I had a wonderful opportunity in high school. I always knew I was going to be a music teacher. That was a given. And um, I had a wonderful opportunity in high school to volunteer with my piano teacher at the elementary school where she taught a class for students with special needs. And I remember one day that we were she said, I want you to dance with the students. And I'm looking at the kids and I'm thinking um, they're in wheelchairs and they can't move. And what are they going to do? And I happened to start moving a girl around the room and I could hear her giggle. And I wanted to know more about what she was doing. So I came around and I was moving her chair, looking at her in the face. And I realized she was absolutely thrilled to be moving around the room in her wheelchair. And I, a little light bulb went off for me and I said, 
if she can enjoy this, I want to find out a career where I can help other students with special needs enjoy music. And it just so happened that my piano teacher had heard about music therapy. And it was at the University of Iowa and University of Kansas. I don't, I'm not sure it was at Wartburg when I was first looking for a college, but I ended up at the University of Iowa. And um, I, my professors were amazing. They were some of the beginning the people who began the idea of music therapy, um, John Bixler was somebody I worked very closely with at the University of Iowa, did a number of practicums with him. And as I was moving through the music therapy program, I thought, you know, what if I get in a school where there's both music education opportunity and music therapy? And so I ended up getting a dual degree. So I was one of those people that did a six-month clinical internship in, I ended up in Des Moines at Broadline's um, psychiatric facility, psychiatric hospital, wow. and I did a six-month clinical internship with, I had 14-year-olds with schizophrenia, and I had uh, 97-year-olds with schizophrenia and all sorts of mental health disorders. So I learned a lot about um, mental health through that um, um internship that I did. And then I also had to student teach and I did K through six um, music. And I did one little bit of my um, student teaching in junior high. And I've just fell in love with the junior high kids. They were so capable of doing whatever the teacher was asking them to do that I was like, well, I, you know, I want to teach junior high. So I get out there. I'm doing, um, you know, interviews and I end up getting a job in Iowa City where I went to school at the University of Iowa. So lucky to be able to stay in Iowa City, a place Absolutely. I loved so much. I came from small town, Iowa, Creston, Iowa, shout out <laughs> Creston Panthers. And um, so I ended up working um, for 13 years as a music educator and um, I also taught adaptive music. And so I was working at Hoover Elementary and Southeast Junior High in Iowa City teaching um, music education and adaptive music. And I worked with students with every disability you can think of. Um, my largest population um, diagnosis would be uh, um, students with autism. Mm -hmm. And so I spent many years working with students with autism, but um, I had students with um, physical disabilities. I had students with mental disabilities. And I'm gonna say I had the best of both worlds because teaching general music allowed me to look at adaptive music in a different way. I'd say, I'm going to take this song and I'm going to make it so that this person who's nonverbal has a way to sing it. And um, I'm sure many other teachers did this. I didn't know anything about it because we didn't have the internet to look stuff up. Maybe there was a book, but I was too busy to look at it. Right. I would draw my own visuals. And then when it was the students turn to sing, they would use uh, pointing at the visuals as their voice. And um, when we played instruments, um, I brought I bought a bunch of um, spatulas and we'd play things with spatulas because it was easier easier for them to hold a spatula. And now, of course, with West Music out there, you can just buy a giant guitar pick. Right. But, you know, back then I was coming up with ways to, um, you know, how kids hold things in their hands. And then I was also spending the day with K through six music and I started to do some integration 
where students from the special ed classrooms came into my regular music education. And then I also did reverse integration where students from my um, general music classes went into the adaptive music classes. And I just, I'm going to tell you, that was a wonderful time in my life. I spent Absolutely. 13 years doing that. And one day I decided I wanted to try something new. And I found out that two of the junior highs, at the time we only had two junior highs in Iowa City, both of the teachers were leaving. And I said, I got to do it. My kids were at a perfect age for me to transition to another grade level. So I moved to junior high and I walked into my first day at Northwest Junior High School and there was a ton of stuff and I didn't know how to use any of it. And I got through the first week and I spent that next weekend pulling stuff off the shelf and sticking cables into things and sticking them into yeah. the guitars and then seeing if, if they would play. That's awesome. <laughs> so I basically had a Frankenstein classroom where I was, I had this huge Tascam tape recorder that had a bunch of um, places where I could put cords into it. And so I would hook four kids together and play a tape and they would play along with the tape. I mean, it was just, it was horrible, but you know, I didn't know what this stuff was. So I just took some time and, and um, figured out ways to jerry rig things together. And then computers had become pretty standard in the classroom by that time. And I had a music lab at Northwest, and that was so awesome. We were doing things like um, listening to instruments of the world. And um, I don't think I'd found any composition technology at that point yet. And let's see, that I started there in 2001. So I hadn't gotten into any technology until about 2007. I was invited to a workshop by my curriculum coordinator, and it was by this guy named Todd Macover from New York City. And oh, I said, wow. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go to this workshop. It's on the University of Iowa campus. It'll be a nice day. I'll get to do, you know, some professional development. And I remember sitting in that room, and he showed how Hyperscore worked, and my jaw dropped and I said, missing link. And if you look back at anything, any of the blogging I've done or any of the talking I do about Hyperscore, I always use the words missing link. Because yep. I seriously went, went as I'm watching the screen, I remember turning to my coordinator and saying, you know, when I teach them rhythm, they can get on the computer and write a rhythm. And when I teach them what melody is, they can get on and write out hot cross buns and then make their own melody. And then uh, I could teach form and I could teach tone color and harmony and tempo and dynamics. And I went on and on and I was so excited. And we went home back to school and immediately bought the program. And um, funny thing is, I limped along with that program until 2020 when COVID took my computer lab. Oh, wow. I think we repurchased it only once. So I had 15 computers, two kids would share them. We had a unit where I would teach rhythm, they'd write a rhythm just exactly as I envisioned it. I'd teach melody, they'd write a melody. They'd do one that I recognized and they'd do one on their own. Um, of their own design. And then I'd show them how to put that together in the harmony window. And then I'd show them how to make loud and soft. Then I taught them form. And then we changed the tone color. And they'd put intros and bridges and codas. And then um, they, they were allowed to do anything with 
that piece, if, as long as it followed the guidelines, and then at the end of the trimester, they had three days of a unit called Mozart Central, where I gave them no direction. They had total freedom on the computer. And we did that until 2020. I came back to school and my computer lab was gone. And I was like, oh my gosh, what yep. do I do? I have been teaching hyperscore since 2007. So I got on the phone. And it turned out that I was talking to Peter Torpey. Oh, wow. Very Who cool. is now my colleague. And I'm like, I'm saying to him, um, how do I get this on the web? I have to have this program. Iowa City, all three junior highs use it. So he was talking to me about what I did with it. And, um, you know, he had some questions about how I was still getting it to work. And it turned out that somebody from HyperScore had helped somebody from our technology department um, patch a sound link because we were having oh, a problem yeah, yeah. when we when we went to Windows 10, it wouldn't work anymore. So we patched a sound link. And um, so Peter and Ju June and I had a conversation over Zoom because now, you know, 2020 Zoom is a yep. thing. And we had a conversation and they could not believe I was still using it. So they had me show some of the stuff I was doing and they were blown away and then they showed me their website and I was blown away because I had no idea Todd had gone on and done city symphonies and he had um, continued uh, Mary and Egon had continued to develop and Kevin Jennings had worked on the pedagogy and they had created the harmony line I had no idea any of that was happening I was just sitting in the little classroom in North Liberty, Iowa, having right. kids compose. And um, at that time, we had built a third junior high. So we had three junior highs used in the program. And so we talked off and on over the year. And I ended up talking, they had me do a little presentation to some teachers in Boston. And I remember I was at my daughter's house for Easter. And I was thinking, I really want to work for them. And what am I going to do when I grow up? This sounds exactly <laughs> like what I want to do when I grow up. So I placed a call the next week and I said, Hi, I'm wondering if you would have any place in your company for me. And June said, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in working for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, so, you know, we started working together and I was like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but when I retired in June of 2021, she gave me some ideas of some things that I could do for her. And I started meeting, meeting once a week with her and Peter. And they said, we're designing this for the web. And they started showing me what they'd been working on. And I was absolutely blown away. And uh, I remember telling Peter, I want the bar line in the rhythm and melody windows in the harmony window to be darker and he goes like this and he reached up and he hit a button and all of a sudden the bar line was darker and I'm like I can I can tell <laughs> Peter what I want hyperscore to have right and I I knew it was the perfect job for me so I have continued in that role as director of education and right now I ran a pilot program in the fall winter and spring 
of this past year. And I do all the social media, which is hilarious because everybody knows that I am so social media phobic, (laughs) but I got on there and I started blogging and tweeting and Instagramming. I actually took a picture of myself. The first tweet I did, I took a picture of it on the screen, (laughs) sent it to all my brothers and sisters so that they could laugh about it. But um, I did a research study. We called it a mini practice research study with a third grade and we had a um, music therapy equivalency student did all our data and he said he should have that data ready for us in the next couple of weeks or so we did a little study and our pilot teachers gave us wonderful feedback I had pilot teachers from Iowa Kansas um, uh, California Massachusetts Pennsylvania Canada, Portugal, and Greece. And we ended up going to the um, TMEA, Texas Music Educators. That's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. That's where I met you in person for the first time. And we met a guy named Jonathan Ochoa. And he is from Texas. And he came back to our table 20 times could your program do this? Could your program do this? I would really love it if your program could help me teach chords. And now Jonathan is one of our biggest contributors of ideas and things that the program can do. But um, June and Peter and I could continue to meet. And um, one day I said to Peter, I would love it if there was a boomwhacker version of hyperscore and he told me a last week staff meeting that he has made a setting that you can have the kids go on and change the setting to boom whackers so they can write music for boom whackers so it'll show up on the screen as as do re mi fa so la ti do and they could turn around play the songs is that not amazing that's awesome that is so awesome. And he is working with me on things like um, we had a, a pilot group at one of our high schools for a, a class that I had adaptive music class that I taught. And the students made these beautiful pieces of music. And then they went in and started tapping on it. And I said, wouldn't it be nice if you could lock the screen once they say it's done? So right now he's working on a toggle where you can lock the screen once the student's done with their work on the melody window or the rhythm window, you can lock the screen uh, to keep them from undoing work that they've spent all this time on. Right. And um, I, I mean, I really believe this summer when I'm writing curriculum, Jonathan is one of the people that is going to be writing national core art standards with me this summer, that the sky's the limit when it comes to what hyperscore can do with a novice composer and I'm going to tell you, I had the most amazing opportunity to do K through six music as a long-term sub. I've been there for two and a half weeks and I'm going to finish on June 1st. And I am going to transition my last class to hyperscore. And right now I'm trying out all sorts of things. And the people who transition next week are my kindergartners and they are going to do steady beat an alternating steady beat and my first and second graders are doing rhythm patterns and then um, my third graders are writing recorder songs my fourth graders are um we're about to start form and tone color and then my fifth and sixth graders are composing with no rules 
And so that's going to be very, very interesting to see what we get out of that experience. And I'm sure it's going to lead me to writing, I'm hoping, some wonderful National Court Standard Lessons. Okay, what yeah. do you think? Did I get it? Get it that all is, in there? Uh, that is a lot. Uh, and <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to unpack before we okay. kind of go into, for those people that don't know what HyperScore is, that what, what I'd like to discuss next um, after I just ask a few questions about all that you said okay. is kind of describing what hyperscore is. But before okay. we do that, um, so total number of years in the classroom is around 30, 25, 30. I'm trying to do the math. Oh, here. you're so sweet. 32. All right. Very I cool. was in a so, classroom 32. Yeah. So we are just about the same age. Um, oh, so that, okay. that's fantastic. Uh, and, you, a lot of things you said resonated uh, very strongly with me. My experience with students with special needs, with different levels of disability. Yes. Um, to me, it's the most special part of music education. For some, mm -hmm. for, for some undergrad, they're maybe nervous or scared because they don't necessarily have the right tools or the right mindset um, uh, you know, to actively engage those students. They might even be, dare I say, scared of those students because yep. of lack of exposure. Maybe, yep. you know, ignorance is the wrong word, but I think you know what I, yep. what I mean. And inexperience. Inexperience, that's right. Um, for me, the most meaningful teaching experiences I had, I taught, I was in the classroom for a total of 15 years before I, before I jumped to the corporate world. I've been in the corporate world, uh, a, a bit longer. So, um, yeah. the, uh, the, my most meaningful experiences hands down were with students with autism, students, uh, on the, on all, all, um, areas of the spectrum of autism, students with down syndrome, yes. students with cerebral palsy. I, I mm -hmm. had such meaningful experiences with those kids and to know that, um, you know, that was one of the, kind of reasons that you looked for the missing link, as you called it, in Hyperscore yes. um, mm -hmm. and all the kind of inventive ways of pointing to things. A lot of what you said, I was like, I did that, that you're right, you're totally right. And uh, it, it's beautiful. So thank you for reflecting on on your career and, and, and then telling us on how you got here. So um, I will say before uh, before going on to what Hyperscore actually is, I was introduced to it by a gentleman named Kevin Coyne. Um, oh, yes, yeah, Kevin. So Kevin, I knew from um, even when I was still teaching in, in the classroom, I would go up to Massachusetts Music Educators. He came to my sessions. We became good friends. And he's like, you have to see this thing called Hyperscore. So he's mm -hmm. the one who introduced me to it. And because of that, I then got in touch with Todd, who took me on a tour of the MIT Media Lab back in 2010, oh, wow. which was maybe 2010, 2011, probably the most meaningful three hours of my uh, professional <laughs> career. I was I was a kid in the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. I've never been so <laughs> overwhelmed, so excited to see everything. And then in the previous company that I ran called Soundtree, we became a reseller of Hyperscore. And before I go any further, I would love for you to give like paint the picture so that people can imagine those of who who have never heard of Hyperscore, never seen it. What is it? Okay. Well, um, I want to tell before I move on, I want to say I am so glad you have experience in the classroom, Jim, because what you do for a living now 
you understand what teachers need because of your experience. And so I am so thankful that that's your background and that you share some of the same experiences that I had. And, and um, I want to make sure you hear that. But then no, I appreciate not- that. And I think that it, it, it really um, lends itself. I, I, I'll just tell this little tiny sound yes. side story. When I was getting hired by Korg to run their education division, uh-huh. The CEO of Korg USA said to me, this is so bizarre. You know, this morning you were teaching middle school band and tomorrow you're going to be, you know, running a multi-million dollar company. I mean, what on what qualifications do you have? You're a middle school band director. And I said, if I can keep 85 kids with instruments <laughs> on task, not making noise and working together with a, for a common goal, For the last 15 years, I can make a couple of adults sell stuff, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so true. And that's why I was not a band director because 32 kids or 30 kids or 34 kids was plenty for me. I don't know how you ever did 85, but you know. There's, there's band teachers out there with 150. Absolutely. So, yep. you know, we, I, we appreciate them for so much for what they do. And my own children went through band and choir and uh, I never understood how the teachers did it, but thank goodness they did. Cause my children really loved that. Yeah. But okay. So you asked me to describe hyperscore. Um, you said the perfect words. You said paint, paint a picture for us. And basically that's what hyperscore is, is you're using color and you're using um, length to indicate music. And um, it reminded me, I I once said this to um, June Kinoshita that um, it reminded me of Morton Sabotnik. Yep. When we first got computers, Morton Sabotnik had this really cool program where you put the making birds. music, making music. Yes. We, we, and believe it or not, CC, we built, we rebuilt. I I partnered with Morton, who I consider a dear friend, and we rebuilt all of his software, and it's in Music First Junior. So all of that painting music from Morton is in Music First Junior now. Um, and Hyperscore to me is like the grown-up version of Morton Sabotnik. It's the grown. It is. Oh my gosh, Jim! It is the grown-up version of Morton Sabotnik. But I thank Morton Sabotnik because he's the first person who made me think music doesn't have to be note values. Right. It. If I've got a kid who can't understand steady beat, they're not going to understand steady beat because I put four quarter notes on a staff. They're going to understand steady beat because I have four hearts in a row. And those four hearts is what they're patting on their lap, which is something we're doing this week in kindergarten. And uh, Morton putting, making the five, he had the five telephone wires. Yep. Oh yeah. With the birds, birds. you put the birds on the different wires and then you hit play and it played your music and it tweeted the birds and my students loved it. And my students with special needs loved it. And you know, look at, I've tried for 32 years and I can still say the name Morton Sabotnik <laughs> because he had such an impact on me. And it turns out that um, Todd Macover knew him as well. And I should say professor and composer Todd Macover, who runs the MIT Opera of the Future Lab, his students are the ones that came up with the idea for Hyperscore. Oh, cool. I, I'm going to guess 2000. Early 2000s, so um, Mary and Egon were working on this program where you made gestures, like you 
splash paint across the screen or you swiped a sound and it made musical sound and they made it more and more and more sophisticated. And then at some point, um, Kevin Jennings comes on the scene to um, work at the MIT Music Lab and he creates a grid that um, the music is placed on this grid and he had a, a, a harmony line. So he put the uh, rules of Western technology into it, but, um, or I'm sorry, of Western notation. But the thing is you could draw a, a drop a note on and say, I like that note. And do I want it to be higher, lower? Do I want it to be longer, shorter? Do your editing and hit play and then say, I love this. And then go draw it in the harmony window and the harmony would play it two times or four times or whatever you told it to do, or it would play two times and then you make a space for a rest and you play it two more times and then you go in the rhythm window and you place you drop notes into the rhythm window and you can make them longer or shorter by using your mouse. I'm 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 it's so funny because I'm I am gesturing in the air. I'm yep, making yep, the yeah. longer and shorter in the air, which my first and second graders got to learn how to do today. And they were flipping out over the fact that they could grab a bar and turn it into a whole note or a 16th note by moving yep. the bar side to side. But anyway, so it is very graphic. And one of the things when um, I started working with June and Peter is they always described it as a user-friendly graphic interface and that's exactly what hyperscore is it is yeah, a user-friendly yeah. graphic interface right and what i just want to make sure because probably people during the pandemic grasping at any type of musical tool that was free or low cost yes, yes. found the chrome music lab and yes. in chrome music lab there's a pitch painter and there is a kandinsky kind of gestural painting program yes, yes. and what people you know a lot of teachers see that and they go, well, oh, then I already have Hyperscore because it does that. But what you mentioned, which I think is so important and makes this software so special, in my opinion, is that it can be really simple like that. But yes, the complexity very that gets really quickly in terms of, again, it's a simple gesture, but musically, the complexity of what the students do, they have no idea how cool it is what they're doing. This harmony line where you are creating melodic and rhythmic motives and then using that as almost like a, a color and a paint palette to say, well, this little melodic motive, which is this paint color, if you will, I'm gonna paint a harmony line and that harmony line is gonna basically transmodulate or modulate or transpose this melodic motive over time. And so drawing with the harmony line, which is what I'm like, I, I get blown away every time I see it. It's one thing to have like a, what I would call the one trick pony of the Chrome Music Lab tools where you just go ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. It's to take that ding, 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 and then immediately put it all and, and do what every composer in history has ever done, which is, um, you know, melodic um, imitation, uh, motive imitation and sequencing. 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 Se Look at, we said it at the same time. Yeah, sequencing. exactly. And, and I keep, I've said this wrong twice now. Let me go back and try again. It's Western harmony right, right, is right, what's right. built into the program. And here's the awesome thing is the kids not, 
I don't have to tell them a thing. I just say, do you like it or do you not like it? Edit it if you don't like it. And inside my head, I'm saying that just modulated to a key. And over here, that they, they just turned that into minor. And they put this together with, two, so my texture in this section of this piece is four. They have four lines of texture in this piece right here. They have a single line of texture. So I'm hearing harmony and I'm hearing um, melody and rhythm isolated. They put in rests. They're doing all the musical things I've ever wanted them to do, but they have no idea. Exactly. They're even doing it. And, yeah, and I mean, the, again, yeah. one of the, and, and your career and your experience um, obviously illustrates why you are excited about the product, why you, the way you use it, the way you teach composition. To me, what I'm so excited about technology writ large the thing that get the thing that got me into this in the first place when I was 14 years old is eliminating all barriers to kids yes. being creative musically. And yes. I always felt, even though I was a trained musician, I took piano lessons from the time I was five. I knew how to read music from the time I can remember. I don't remember not being able to read music. Um, my my grandmother was a piano teacher in England, and I remember being like two years old, taking you know with with yeah. her teaching me. Um, I. I had that vocabulary, but when it came time to composition, I once went to a piano teacher, this amazing guy named Arthur Cunningham, who was this really well-known African-American composer in, in the New York area. And my mom said that she thought I was creative and she sent me for a lesson with him. And he said, why don't you play me what you feel, play something that you feel. And I was lost. I had no mm -hmm. idea what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, but there's no music on the page. And he was exactly, I'd like you to play something on the piano with no music and just play. And I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do it. So for a lot of kids, and this was with a lot of training, I was lost when it came to creativity. And it wasn't until I picked up my first piece of software that was non-notation based. And I started composing in an old program called Sequencer Plus Mark One, which was... Um, piano roll notation, which, you know, like oh, the old, mm -hmm. exactly what hyperscore, you know, is, is, is basically based on. Mm -hmm. And I was instantly hooked and I was composing nonstop um, because mm -hmm. I, I, I had the, the tyranny of notes went away and it was this kind of free canvas. And that's why when I saw, I forget how I got reintroduced to, maybe it was Kevin that said, Hey Jim, may, I think, I think hyperscore is going to go on the web. I am so excited that Music First uh, is 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 partnering with you guys to bring it out. I can't wait to to you know for people to hear this podcast, and for hopefully you know I'll put links in our podcast description. But go and get you know Hyperscore trials and try it. What kind of activities, you know, that you were just talking about what you do with your kindergartners, but some other types of things that you did with your students that was successful? It would be great. Okay, well, um, for example, we when I inherited this long-term subposition, they were finishing up an experience where they had written now specific um, rhythmic values. And so they're seeing the actual notation. And the great thing is there's nothing wrong with actual notation. It pairs very nicely with right. hyperscore because today I had them put their quarter notes in the four columns of a measure in hyperscore. And then I, they, they use these rhythm symbols, toddy, toddy, 
I'd never heard them before. We we did one nay, two nay when I was teaching elementary. Right, but, right, right. but I said, now I need you to do a toddy. So you're going to have to make this note smaller. And so they were putting um, eighth notes into the piece. And then um, next week, what they're going to have to do is write out the rhythmic values that they did. They've been playing them on ORF instruments and rhythm instruments. So they're going to transfer that into a visual of what they were doing with music notes. So they could go back and forth from their actual notation into this um, hyperscore notation. And then my hope would be that they would go on and be able to do um, the sixth graders have something called Takadimi, which is the 16th note pattern. And um, they should be able to immediately do that but here's the cool thing they don't have to know it's takadimi and they can just write it because i have a seventh grader who made an entire piece uh, i'd say 10 11 years ago he used 16th notes and for three days he did nothing but make the the 16th notes flow up and down on the screen. Right. So his was a very visual picture. So you could be doing note values. Here's the big thing that that June would love to see. She and Todd are working on a um, well-being project. So social emotional learning. So June would love it if I got an opportunity to work with with a group of these kids, especially like the fifth or sixth graders right now that I'm giving free reign. And I say, um, you have three seconds to write what spring sounds like. Mm. So think about your lesson with Arthur Cunningham, where you weren't able to come up with what spring sounds like because you didn't know what keys to touch. Right. But yet, what does spring sound like? You can put down a note. Um, I you, I always have them start on middle C just so that yep. they don't have to worry about key change or anything. So I say start on middle on on this line in the middle, and um, make it go up or down or whatever. And then I want you to see if it sounds like spring. And if it doesn't, I want you to edit it. Or another thing I do is I have the kids write their piece of music and I have them close their eyes and listen to it. And I say, tell me what that sounds like to you. So I had a student in one of my first classes that said, he said, it sounds like the bubbles. When my mom makes me hot chocolate, the bubbles in the pan. Oh, that's cool. And that's he great. ended up calling his piece let, letting off some steam. Oh, that's great. Isn't that awesome? That's and so great. something that June and Todd and Peter are really, really working towards with, with Hyperscore is the idea that you can express your feelings and your life stories and 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 put that into music. And it's it's not that it sounds like spring to anybody else. It sounds like spring to you. Now, we all know that Carnival of the Animals, um, Sanson did a wonderful job of making us hear hens and roosters. So, you know, you put a title on your piece and all of a sudden you're hearing steam because the student titled their piece. So it makes it programmatic. Right, right, so, right. You know, what? why couldn't we be writing um, about things that are important in life right now? Um, write about how you felt during um, the pandemic. Absolutely. And when you were I mean, away these, from kids, school. These kids need that. Yes. If, if there's never been a more important thing for students right now, music teachers tapping into the kids' feelings and having them express themselves musically, I don't think it's ever been more important. I, I would 100% agree, and that's that's where they are right now. They're doing a project in Bilbao, Spain, and they're having students compose, and they're um, 
composing about Bilbao and how they feel about Bilbao and what it's like to live there and to be a child in Bilbao and how oh, you cool. feel. And then um, in 2024, Todd will be debuting a city symphony for Bilbao. Oh, that's and awesome. It will incorporate the pieces, the motives that the kids wrote. Oh, that's fantastic. That is yes. very cool. And if, if anybody wants to know more about those city symphonies, they just have to go to our website because he's been all over the place. They did a rock band in Armenia. They did Toronto. I mean, I, I could go on forever, but check out um, newharmonyline.org. And right there, you've got great examples of what you can turn a child's simple motif into a symphony. Yep. And awesome. so could it, so could a child, you know, at yeah. a given time, I'd love to see it become a portfolio that moves from kindergarten to whatever the last year you take music in our school district, it's at seventh grade, but you can take it in eighth. And now they're starting a class in high school called flex music, where, uh, or hear my voice, where um, somebody could go on and compose. So the music portfolio could follow them all the way up to there. So, you know, the sky's the limit, it truly is. Wow. So, Cece, I'm looking at my clock going, oh, my God, that went by quickly. So <laughs> I, I have two two last questions for okay. you. Okay. I'm going to put I'm going to put links to everything you talked about in the description of the podcast. But the first one is the advice question. OK. Um, and because you have all this experience and now you're in a new role, you know, working on the other side and basically saying, I want this to happen. And then poof, you know the magical Peter makes it happen. Um, what, what advice would you give to music educators who are trying to get, you know, they, they, they did the emergency use of technology during COVID, but now they're trying to figure out, okay, now that it's not an emergency anymore, really, how, how could I incorporate the technology hyperscore or not into their curriculum, into their teaching? I think you need to look for the opportunity to have the kids to express themselves. And I can tell you how excited my students are to be on a computer right now, creating something. And so, you know, start them off with Chrome Lab um, and let them see how dropping music on um, creates, they're actually creating what they're hearing. It's not a loop right. that's been prepared for them necessarily. Right, right, it's right. something that they create. And then that's a loop for them to use later on in a piece of music. Start with something that you're doing in the classroom and find an opportunity to stick it in there. If you're doing an ORF ostinato, have them write out the ORF ostinato. Orf ostinato, yep. um, have them write a boomwhacker piece, uh, make them write the BAG recorder songs. I, I'm not saying I shouldn't say make them because <laughs> I'm never having to make them. I give them the opportunity and they do go. that. Look for those little things you're already doing in the classroom and say, how can I extend their creativity? They've played BAG on the recorder. Let's now start make a song where I put a um, Orf background and we play a kid's BAG song. I mean, how exciting is that? Yeah, you no, know. I love that kind of advice, Cece, because uh, some teachers think you have to force it, um, you know, force the use of technology. And, that, and that's why they kind of get like, I, I don't want to do this. To me, if you use it as a tool to get the kids to understand something in a different way because it's not working one way or they are understanding it, but you want to get them to the synthesis part of Bloom's taxonomy and be like, no, now I want you to make something with this. I, you know, it's time to, yeah. to really synthesize and use what you've learned to make something. I think that's great advice. Um, 
you you said it perfectly it's another tool in your tool bag yep. it's it's not like you turn your whole room into a computer lab it's not that at all they bring in their chromebook they do your little unit they take their chromebook back out and put it in the yep. classroom and you don't bring it out again for you know however long you need to yep. until you have you have another opportunity for them to be creative with it that's awesome all right, last question, and I'm sorry okay. we're running out of time. I could talk to you for another hour. Um, the magic <laughs> wand question. Now, I don't know if you want to um, give any hints about what might be coming in HyperScore with features because, you know, you now have this great power, and with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> but um, if you could wave a magic wand and have HyperScore do something that it can't do now, or music tech in general, what would it be? And hopefully Peter's listening. <laughs> uh, oh, poor Peter. Yeah. I, I just. He's awesome. I love that guy. That's he, great. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. I, you know, I say, can this happen? And, you know, of, of course, everybody in the world can't wave Peter's magic wand because he'd never sleep. And he, right. I, he, he probably already doesn't already sleep, but he has a whole nother career in addition to hyperscore, by the way, but wow. um, as an artist, but uh, I, I think I would there's something cool that's coming in hyperscore through your music first classroom and, and i'm not sure it's quite ready yet right but um it's going to be community so um long long time ago in a land far away they had this thing called h lounge and peter was a big um, participant in it when he was in his teens and basically people wrote hyperscore pieces and then they posted them and other people took them and did things with them. Oh, cool. And people said, I like it or I don't like it, or I want my original piece back. And, and, you know, you always had, of course, your original, but yep. then people could mix it. That's coming. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fantastic. the ability to share and um, have your friends look at your piece. Um, my students have told me that they've already taken their piece home and shared it with their parents. Yep. So the ability to share and have a community. Um, can you imagine going to a museum and having a kiosk where a family can stand around and write a piece of music and email it to yep. grandma? So Wouldn't cool. that be cool? Very, very and, cool. You know, uh, I, I am the dreamer. June is a dreamer. Peter's a dreamer. People, uh, you know, like Jonathan that we met at TMEA, yeah. they're all dreamers. So, you know, somebody comes up with an idea and then, you know, there's the MIT Media Lab coming up with cool things. Music is is not going to be static. It's it's going to continue to grow yeah. and develop and, and be simple and complex at the same time. And that's the exciting part of it is this, this just doesn't end. It keeps going. Well, Cece, I, I think that... Uh, New Harmony Line and Hyperscore, very, very lucky to have you. Your enthusiasm wow. is infectious. And I, <laughs> I'm i hoping that anyone listening to this podcast dude, that who has never heard of Hyperscore or has never tried it is uh, is inspired to go and, and give it a shot, um, get a free trial, sign up. It's super easy. Um, you know, we can, uh, I'll put the link down in the podcast uh, description so you can Thank click you. on that. But I, I just thank you so much. It's it's so good to talk to a fellow music educator in this industry uh, who's doing it for the right reasons. And I just appreciate you. And, and I thank you for, for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Jim. And uh, 
it inspires somebody to try something, you know, there, there's nothing to be afraid of because there's no wrong answer. And um, so get out there, try it out. Uh, we got people um, trying out microtonality with it right now. I mean, sky's the limit. You're going to be the one that comes up the, with the, there's a music educator out there that's going to be the next one that comes up with a great idea of how to use it. And somebody will see it in public, like Kevin sharing it with you. That, that's just amazing. So um, let's, keep that, let's keep that community going, everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much, CC. Have a, have a really wonderful summer. Thank you. You too, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.